Alright, I'll do my best to pronounce this. Ishio oyani ko o nasazaru koto o matsugo ni kuite. For not honoring my parents while I lived, in my last hour I feel remorse. Death poem of an individual named Isan who died in 1698 from Japanese death poems compiled by Tuttle Publishing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Fool's Guide to the Occult. I'm a buffalo, and before we say anything further, I want to thank everyone for all the wonderful messages we've uh, gotten on Patreon, Instagram, Facebook, and by email. Uh, It's really wonderful to hear from you all. Uh, I'd love to do a listener mail type segment at the end of each episode. So if you want to ask us a question about the occult or just ask what my favorite color is or whatever, you can drop us a line at fool's guide, the number two, the occult at gmail.com. Yeah, definitely. I am Luxa and I second Hector. I mean, the Buffalo's sentiment (laughs) regarding how awesome our listeners are. Uh, You are indeed the best. And yes, please write us. We would love to hear from you. Anyway, uh, so today we're talking about Codes of Honor. Yeah, and there are several reasons we wanted to do this episode. Um, Back in our episode on magical thinking, I mentioned uh, a quote, there is a whole section in Condensed Chaos by Phil Hine about this, and I think it may be worthwhile to cover. Uh, Also, as Kevin once said in some episode in season one, Um, you can't expect the universe or any of its members to take you seriously if you can't even keep your own word, whatever that word may be. Uh, I feel like these kinds of codes are a big part of magical thinking in general. Furthermore, we've been talking about ego magic and shadow work and initiation and magical thinking and metacognition. So we've been talking a lot about unraveling our own thought process and modifying our cognition. And um, we should also be considering how we're behaving as well and how that behavior affects the people and the space time around us. Ultimately, most behavior, with the exception of, I guess, reflexes, uh, are linked to thoughts and beliefs. So we thought we'd take this episode to look at um, a wide variety of codes and ethics and um, plain and simple rules uh, from a variety of cultures and institutions and then discuss uh, not only the benefits, but also the process of creating your own uh, sort of code of honor, code of ethics to, um, I don't know, live your best life. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so when I began researching for this episode, most of what I found related to codes of conduct for warriors of some type. Uh, When you think about it, this makes a lot of sense. Having martial arts training, having weapons and being skilled in their use, being educated about strategy and tactics, these are all things which give people some degree of power. And with power comes responsibility, a la Spider-Man, you know, Thanks, Uncle Ben. Thank you, Uncle Ben. (laughs) Uh, So this is true of any type of power, whether it's like military strength of arms or even just, you know, being put into a position of power. Uh, You can also have power in the form of personal agency. In fact, power and agency seem pretty inextricably linked. I'm going to have to think more about that later, though. Um, Okay, so practicing magic brings one a greater degree of personal agency. 
at least this has been the case for me and like a lot of people I know, agency, at least in the philosophical sense, is the freedom and ability to take chosen actions. Okay, so you have this power, this ability to basically do what you want, which is another way of thinking about the definition of agency. Uh, what will you choose to do and what principles will guide your actions? So these are definitely questions worth considering carefully. Uh, so, okay, so Hector, what do you think about codes of honor, codes of conduct? You know, what kind of comes to mind for you? What comes to mind? A lot comes to mind. Um, 15 pages of notes come to mind. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm reminded of, of a lot of the similar things that you mentioned Um but also, you know, I've been in and out of martial arts since I was really young. I started out with uh, TKD, but as like know, a young kid, I was like seven or eight. Um, I didn't really want to continue with it because to like advance, you had to like fight other people. And I wasn't really like into the idea of fighting other people at the time. Uh, so I dropped out of that. Um, but I do remember we had this code that we had to recite at the end of every class. And I can't remember it specifically, but it was something about like, being respectful and uh, never taking things that don't belong to you and protecting those who need help and not starting fights, but, you know, being prepared to like finish them if someone starts shit with you, basically. <laughs> I guess it may come as a surprise to some people. Uh, I was also a scout, uh, Boy Scout. I went all the way to Eagle, which I guess is kind of a big deal. Uh, but I was also that scout that was like a nonconformist and an ever-present thorn in the side of my leaders. But for those of you that aren't familiar with, with, with scouting, uh, there's a scout code and a scout oath. And uh, the oath is kind of problematic, to be honest. Actually, there are parts of the scout law that are problematic, too. For example, uh, the 12th point is a scout is obedient. Fuck that. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> As George Carlin once said, obedience, respect for authority, just another name for controlling people. The truth is obedience and respect shouldn't be automatic. They should be earned. They're based on performance. Uh, some people deserve respect, but most of them don't, period. And that's George Carlin for you <laughs> in a nutshell. What else? Uh, I have Meiyo, uh, the Japanese kanji for honor tattooed on me. Um, actually, speaking of Japanese and other Asian cultures, or really other cultures in general, as I'm learning, there's this is a pretty widespread concept, uh, bigger than I realized. Um, but there's this idea of like family honor. Um, which is really interesting, and it's not exactly the type of honor that we're trying to talk about today. Um, so maybe that's something for another time. I guess, really, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that comes to mind, but it's all going to come up later. So, uh, you know, I'll just sprinkle them in there uh, for a little bit of added flavor as we go about. But in general, I feel like like codes of honor and ethics are really similar, and it's like about knowing right from wrong and um, living by like a carefully considered set of values yeah dude absolutely i agree i just i'm quite curious like is it true that these scouts are like designed to kind of like funnel people into the military because that's what i heard the other day and i don't know if that's the case what do you think that is the impression i got while being a scout and i was always very against authority you don't say <laughs> so but at the same time, like my friends were scouts and I really like a lot of the skills you learned, like, you know, how to oh, survive yeah. and all that shit. Like, that's really good stuff to know and like orienteering and for sure and dude. stuff. So I was into it. But at the same time, I was like, 
I ain't doing that. I ain't saying that. You're a jerk. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It was cool. interesting. Cool. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was a scout back in the time, back in the day when, like, you know, what if you were, like, queer in the scouts, you had to be hush-hush about it because that wasn't cool, even though all the, not all of our scout masters, but plenty of scout masters have been uh, convicted child molesters at this point, so. Uh, yeah, geez. Well, all kinds of stuff going on there, it sounds like. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's quite a mess. Quite a mess. Well, we'll have to talk about that another time soon. Interesting stuff, but let's talk. Maybe not on the show. <laughs> we'll see if it comes up. <laughs> all right. Let's talk. Okay. Let's talk about values versus rules. All right. You know, the unspoken rule of the land here in the U.S., one could argue, is the Ten Commandments. All right. So hear me out. Even though we think or we like to think that we have like separation of church and state there still seems to be a lot of church in the state uh like all those 10 commandments monuments and frono state courthouses or the fact that people want kids to like pray in school and everything so the 10 commandments have like some good advice in them about how to behave in a society like don't like murder each other and steal and everything like but are these values or are they rules uh, we're going to go ahead and read them for you in case you haven't heard them, you know? Yeah, so, um, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Honor thy father and thy mother. No. <laughs> uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, thou shalt make unto thee and Let me try that again. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Don't worship an idol, essentially. Okay. Um, which crosses i don't know hey, uh thou shalt not take the name of lord thy god in vain god damn it <laughs> thou shalt not kill yep throw all your food out um thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not steal thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor oh i haven't heard that version before so it's okay to bear false witness against somebody else mm -hmm. i don't know Ask Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> no, this is way before Jesus. <laughs> I'll ask him when school's back in session. <laughs> Thou shalt not covet. Oh, that's my favorite pastime. I'm so covetous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not 100% sure what that means. That means like you like want something. Is that right? It, yeah, it's like desiring other people's oh, stuff. Oh, okay. Like you see somebody with like a shiny like, watch. Ooh, and you're like, I can't wait to watch. fucking take that watch away from them. Is <laughs> Okay. Basically, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's coveting in a nutshell. All right, so I think it's all just rules. Yeah, totally, dude. A commandment is, by definition, an order. Yeah. The Ten Commandments are slightly different depending on uh, which sect of Christianity you're talking about or, like, what religion. Some of those that, that you put in the notes there are different from the way I learned them in Catholic church but me too they were I, yeah, it, <laughs> that's why they were so confusing i thought it was interesting though yeah it is interesting yeah but basically yeah it's a bunch of control mechanisms however you want to slice it yeah dude i totally agree so okay there's a difference between developing your own code that reflects your individual ethics and philosophy and having somebody else's kind of giving to you or shoved down your throat or whatever the case may be um if you are commanded to do something, can you then, at least from a like a philosophical standpoint, like take, I don't know, quote unquote, like moral credit or feel like morally superior 
if the only real choice you made was to obey, right? Like, if if it's ethical or moral to be, like, subservient, like, you know, like, in the Scouts Oath, uh, what, uh, what about people who, like, obey the orders of, like, unethical leaders, right? Like, I feel like there is a huge difference, like, I would say, between ethical codes and codes of honor and, like, a set of rules, and I think that's exactly why. Yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. Um, you know what? I'm going to quote George Carlin a whole bunch today because A, big part of my childhood, um, and B, he's got like a lot of useful stuff to say um, about this topic. Obviously, there's some problematic shit that he said too, so that's a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Like, George Carlin said some shit that's like yeah, not okay. Sure. He also said some shit that's straight up on point. Yeah, it's true. We're not going to quote his shit that wasn't good. No, for sure. Absolutely. All right, so here we go. Carlin says, about 5,000 years ago, a bunch of religious and political hustlers got together to try and figure out how to control people and keep them in line. They knew people were basically stupid and would believe anything they were told, so they announced that God had given them some commandments up on a mountaintop where no one was around. Well, let me ask you this. When they were making this shit up, why did they pick 10? Why not 9 or 11? I'll tell you why, because 10 sounds official. 10 sounds important. 10 is the basis for the decimal system. It's a uh, decade. It's a psychologically satisfying number. The top 10, the 10 most wanted, the 10 best dressed. So having 10 commandments was really a marketing decision. It is clearly a bullshit list. It's a political document artificially inflated to sell better. I did my best to do my do a Carlin voice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, after which he proceeds to reduce the entire list to two commandments that encompass the entire thing uh, before adding his own third commandment, uh, thou shalt keep thy religion to thyself. I like that one. Which, yeah, it's a good one. Um, so some of them are okay, depending on the circumstance, but not always. Um, if I remember when Kevin and I inter uh, interviewed the Archbishop uh, Michael Manasco, he mentioned um, that it does say, I am your Lord God, you shall have no other gods before me, but just that, the before me part, not you shall have no other gods, or I am the only God, just I am like king of the hill. Something I'm sure a lot of Christians don't really think about too much, but other ones are, are fairly problematic given certain circumstances, right? Not stealing or bearing fault with false witness, which is lying or are generally good things not to do, but sometimes theft can be justified. And sometimes we have to lie to protect ourselves or the, the people we care about from a painful truth or an oppressive government agency or whatever. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think we talked about too, the example of like, is it okay to like steal food to feed your kid or something? I don't know. Like, I think it's important to have some situational flexibility in this stuff, right? Because the exact type of scenarios you mentioned, like, come up and, I don't know, sometimes it's necessary to make hard choices. And those situations, like, a set of operating principles seems like it would be a lot better than, like, a set of, like, rigid commands or rules, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it reminds me of when you play D&D &D with someone who's, like, running a, like, a lawful good character who ends up doing, like, a bunch of, like, really fucked up things because it's, like, lawful or whatever. I don't know if you play with people like that, but I have. So. <laughs> I was. Most of us play chaotic. <laughs> we like to mix it up. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So can we keep like dig? I kind of want to go through all these just 
the Ten Commandments for fun. Sure. Can we do that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So now we still have, I guess, the ones related to coveting your neighbor's wife. And good news, ladies, they they don't say anything about coveting your neighbor's husband. So go to town, I guess. <laughs> so as far as the coveting goes, like, all right, yeah, that's what we said. We just we we talked about it earlier. It's the act of desiring something. Like, can we really control that sort of like? It seems like it might be like this game is like a tiny bit rigged. I don't know. So statistics, as flawed as they are, um, most of the statistics I found show that 70% of U.S. citizens engage in some kind of affair during their marriages. Um, Yeah, so, you know, let's just be upfront here. We're all human. Uh, Most of us, not all of us, because asexuality is a real thing, but most of us see attractive people and we're like, damn, that'd be fun. And like, given the fact that in Christianity, the Lord says, be fruitful and multiply. You know, you'd think like polyamory would be part of the whole system there. Like, I don't know. King Solomon had like 100 wives. Anyway. <laughs> what, what are you advocating for here, my friend? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm advocating that everyone just like be happy. And if you want to bang, bang and then get over it. That sounds pretty rational. <laughs> anyway. Moving forward, coveting thy neighbor's goods. I want to quote, well, paraphrase Carlin on this one a bit. He says this keeps the economy going, which, like, he kind of has a point, right? Like, uh, you know, somebody has a really nice shirt, let's say. You want a nice shirt too, right? So you go out and buy a nice shirt and the cycle continues, whatever. There's, yeah, there's the idiom in the English language, at least in the American English, of keeping up with the Joneses, which is like, if your neighbor has a fancy car, you got to get a fancy car because apparently people care about that shit. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, but like, I find this commandment really kind of, well, Carlin's interpretation of it really kind of weird, right? Because as far as I can tell, Jesus was an anarchist or at very least a communist. To quote Matthew 19.21, Jesus answered, uh, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the, f- the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then follow me. So in that case, I guess we'd all have like similar access to resources. So, you know, we shouldn't really have to worry about coveting at all, period. But as far as I can tell, people tend to covet like stupid shit. Like you said, like cars and houses and sound systems. As long as you have a car and a place to sleep and something to listen to music on, like who gives a shit with the bro with the upside down backwards visor across the street is driving, you know, besides he kind of sounds like a jerk. (laughs) Okay. So just real quick, I want to address it. Like, I think there's definitely stuff that you could still covet though. Like even in this scenario that you described, like, I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm covetous of like, information like learning stuff like but that's not a good like the commandment says don't covet thy neighbor's goods okay i got you yeah okay all right so last is thou shalt not kill which is how i learned it um when i talked to kevin about this way back when we interviewed uh, michael manasco he had learned it thou shalt not commit murder which is different than killing mm-hmm. but thou, thou shalt not kill was how i learned it in um bible school i guess Um, And again, that depends on context, right? If thou shalt not kill, or even in the case like thou shalt not murder, then every soldier is going to burn in hell, right? At least any soldier that's in combat. As Carlin pointed out, more people have killed in the name of God than for any other reason. 
Also, God does a hell of a lot of killing in the Bible anyway. If you subscribe to the whole God has a plan and everything is predetermined deal, then really God's the biggest serial killer ever because he's, you know, created all the serial killers. Every death <laughs> is his fault, right? Um, obviously, I think all of this is nonsense, right? Self-discipline, uh, you know, self-defense is important. Um, but to kill for a thrill or kill out of anger or spite, like that's probably not okay. And society will crumble if people behave that way. Um, you know, sometimes a good old fashioned political assassination, though, pretty justified. I'm sure the CIA and MI6 would totally agree with me on that. <laughs> Dude, just real quick. I mean, semantically, like I don't killing and murdering, like you said, huge difference, right? Like, because it's not murder if you're following commands right like that, that's different it's murder is like a choice that you make usually right like i guess yeah that, that's why they have the, the, the mm. distinction between manslaughter and murder like murder is like you know it's something that murder you is do. defined as the intentional yeah, ending murder of is something life. that you want to do <laughs> like, right like whereas if you kill like <laughs> it's, it's premeditated killing of a human being or even right if so not. if someone commands you to kill someone and you kill them you thought about I know, it you but did I, it. I would say that it's, it's still murder it's, i think that there's a distinction there i think you could make a, a semantical distinction at least okay i respectfully disagree with you okay we can argue all right, well, let's argue about this more later. <laughs> okay. We might. This might drive us apart, Luxa. <laughs> well, I welcome any difference of opinion from mine, so <laughs> it'll be fine. All right, moving ahead. <laughs> let's leave the Christianity behind and dig deeper in a hole. Do you think we got all of our feelings out about the Ten Commandments? <laughs> I don't think it's possible. <laughs> it's not possible. But let's leave it okay. behind and move forward. All right, so how about these five commandments known as the Pentabar from Discordianism? Uh, it's from the Principia Discordia by Malachlebs the Younger. Yeah, these are about how to properly worship Eris, the goddess of chaos, otherwise known as Discordia. Hail Eris. All hail Discordia. There is no goddess but goddess, and she is your goddess. There is no Eresian movement but the Eresian movement, and it is the Eresian movement. And every golden apple core is the beloved home of a golden worm. Number two, a Discordian shall always use the official Discordian document numbering system. A Discordian is required during his early illumination to go off alone and partake joyously of a hot dog on a Friday. This devotive ceremony to remonstrate against the popular paganisms of the day of Catholic Christendom, no meat on Friday, Judaism, no meat of pork, and of the Hindic peoples, no meat of beet, or Buddhists, no meat of animal, and of Discordians, no hot dog buns. And I'd like to point out that it says uh, his in here. So female Discordians, I believe you're exempt from this requirement. <laughs> or it could have just been written in the, what I've heard a cult authors argue is this is the traditional way of writing these things but obviously women can do it too i think it says this in libra non psychedelic it's i've heard many people argue that yes using his is proper english i think we should change that um anyway number four a discordian shall partake of no hot dog buns 
for such was the solace of the goddess when she was confronted with the original snub. A Discordian is prohibited of believing what they read. There you are. Thank you. You're welcome. I agree with you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. Uh, another example of rules as opposed to codes would be like the Wiccan read, Harmon, do what thou wilt, or Crowley's uh, do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law, which brings up an interesting point. The commandments or rules are really just spiritual laws rather than codes of or, you know, principles of living, uh, just like laws are punishable in the political world. Breaking one of these commandments is punishable in the spiritual world and in some space times quite directly and physically, but at the very least spiritually, right? Like in the afterlife or in the, the Wiccan idea that everything mm -hmm. comes back to you or how the concept of karma affects reincarnation within the, the Hindu system. But contrary to that, like codes of honor, or codes of ethics um, really is something like you're trying to personally live up to. So like there's really no horrible thing that's going to happen to you if you fail to live up to your code you just try to do better next time mm -hmm. right yeah no for sure um so yeah there's we've got rules commandments operating principles like let's kind of dig into the topic of honor uh here's a few like dictionary definitions from mary webster so it's this idea of like to live up to or fulfill the terms of or aka honor your commitments it could also be like a keen sense of ethical conduct or integrity. Also, like, you know, if your word is given, it's a guarantee, you know, to like say like on my honor or to honor your word or whatever. So there you are. On my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to Satan and my country to refuse unjust laws, to help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong and mentally awake, and use critical thinking instead of following brainwashing doctrines. Fuck yeah. Hail Satan. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> Hail let's get into it here. Um, talk to me about personal codes of honor, please. Yeah, sure. Most quasi-religious or transcendental magical systems are characterized by an ethical code which is um, external to individuals laid down in some holy book uh, and is almost always broken, right? Far better than to develop is to, to develop one's own personal operating principles. It may seem an odd statement for a chaos magician to make, but I think having a personal honor code enhances one's ability as a magician. For example, over the years, I've developed my own personal rules about magical acts being directed at other people uh, and will not deviate from them unless a situation fulfills very specific criteria. Furthermore, being seen to be honorable in specific uh, ways Frankly, it, it impresses other people. Um, it builds one's credibility as both a person and a magician and as someone who can be relied on. A sense of honor determines one's actions, and it is usually uh, by actions rather than words or postures that one is judged by others. If you like the point of honor that you decide to live by, points of honor rather, are the foundations of your personal psychocosm. It's always worth remembering that, that words have power. If you believe that your words can unleash power and bind entities to your will, then it also file, uh, files. It also follows that your own words can bind you too. 
Uh, in fact, you know, since building my own code, I, I've seen it greatly impact my day-to-day thinking, taking time to, to craft one of these and regularly reviewing it and improving upon it when necessary will go a far way in, I guess, aiding your own growth. It's not only an occultist, but like a person in general. Uh, I've really found this process to be helpful to me personally. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, dude, I absolutely agree. And actually, I don't think the stuff you said about like having a code of honor being strange for a chaos magician at all. I mean, I know Phil Hine talks about it in Condensed Chaos. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he says this. Okay, so the ability to perform advanced acts of magic requires years of effort, years of study, training, practice, analysis, and growing self-awareness. These years are valuable. The passage of time allows us to grow, create our own codes of ethics and honor, uh, forming the roots of our power and the bedrock upon which we build our magical reality. So like this is kind of like a foundational issue in terms of how he sees it. So it would seem to me that most of us have come up with something along the lines of a code of honor in the course of our practices, even if we might not call it that or have like taken the time to really hammer it out yet. So I'm really excited to be talking about this topic. Uh, when I first started thinking about it, I felt like it was actually kind of silly to have to like list that type of stuff out. I felt I was like, you know, I already know what I'm about. I don't need to like go through the trouble of like formalizing it with like a list for myself or whatever. But as I began to like write it out, um, I realized that I had already sort of like made most of it in the years uh, in the form of like these little personal mantras. And so, like, I started, like, really, like, parsing out what these things meant to me and, like, you know, notes and notes and notes later. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I found it was actually uh, pretty interesting. A lot of them revealed some pretty interesting stuff about, like, how I see the world on, like, maybe, like, a subconscious level or something. Like, at least, like, when I wrote them or found them or however the hell I ended up with them. I'm not really quite sure which is the case for some of them. But I guess uh, more on that later. But yeah, like adding to what you said about like words, using your words to say things that have no meaning or weight because you don't follow through with what you say can like eventually degrade the power of your words, right? Like you need to believe what you say, except in some circumstances, obviously, Uh, your own words will be, you know, if you don't believe it, they're not going to have as much power. So let's address this idea a bit further by talking about some more like points of honor and about that. All right, so points of honor. Your word is your bond. Avoid placing yourself in a situation where your integrity can be questioned. Be aware that other people, particularly other magicians, are continually looking at your reputation. Don't obsess about that, though. It's, It's a thing, but again, like... It's a thing you should keep in the back of your mind and not the front of your mind. Yeah, I would just worry about your own shit. I wouldn't worry about other people personally. Yeah, I yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, don't just. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it can take years to establish yourself as a magician, um, but you can blow your reputation away in like a single evening. And that's just in life in general. That goes for the path. It goes for that wedding you got too drunk (laughs) at. So, you know, anyway. As far as points of honor go, if you say so, or if I say so, I will try. If I say I shall, I will do. And if I say I promise, I'm bound to that thing, right? If you say you're going to do something, you should do it. If you are dependable, 
people will have confidence in you. Uh, the more confidence they have in you, the more powerful a magician or a person in general you will become. Equally, if you cannot realistically do something, then it is a mark of quality to say that you can't do it. Uh, this point is particularly pertinent if you choose to become or choose to perform magic on behalf of other people. As far as problems go, you should resolve them as soon as possible if they do occur. And it's my personal opinion that you should do this directly as possible. Um, I'm a pretty firm believer in direct action. So if you can handle something yourself, you should do it yourself instead of resorting to like help from other people. The longer a problem is left alone, the less likely you are to fix it. Uh, so, you know, try and be quick about it. If a problem related to another person uh, cannot be resolved, then you should probably contact them as soon as possible anyway. Uh, promptly deal with problems. You know, it's, it's generally appreciated by all people to not let things just simmer under the surface and just like deal with it directly and immediately. When it comes to mistakes, it's really good to admit them freely. Like if you're wrong about something, own up to it. If you fucked up, be like, yeah, that's my bad. I'm sorry. And be earnest about that. People respect that kind of stuff. Um, don't attempt to cover shit up. It's not good. Yeah, people are always going to fucking see through your bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I had this really awesome pipe in college. It was like $200 beautiful pipe. And uh, I came back to the apartment after like a week or two weeks or it might have even been longer of just like holding down an Occupy camp and just like sleeping on the street. And I came back and my roommate had broken this pipe and glued it back together and not told me about it. And we were smoking out of it. And I looked at it and I was like, is this glue? What the fuck? Like, first of all, he was using... You know, just own up to shit and like be straightforward and I won't be pissed at you because you were honest, right? Where was I in all these notes here? <laughs> yeah, so anyway, this adds credibility, providing, of course, you do something about the problem. Uh, these points are mostly related to how you deal with other people, but from a chaos magic perspective, the mark of an effective magician is the ability to deal effectively with other people in a wide range of situations. If you strive to uphold these points of honor and others towards people, then you're more likely to apply them to yourself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, being an effective magician it involves a lot of things. And one of those is, you know, being able to adapt to situations like having to deal with people. Yeah. Um, all right. So if you make organization an important part of your honor code too, then other people will sort of get the idea that, you're effective and competent too because when you're organized you do tend to be a little bit more effective which gives the idea that you're also confident actually is effectiveness and competence the same interesting question i'll have to think about that later but um all right so just don't get so organized that there's no more room for chaos right it's like one of those dances like you know where you have to leave room for jesus only here it's like leave a little room for eris you know yeah which is, I think, a little less room than you leave for Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it's measured in like micrometers rather than feet. <laughs> um, all right, so let's talk a little bit more about Phil Hine. Um, he talks about like the qualities of chaos, right? Like being a, like chaos being an acronym for confidence, honor, attentiveness, organization, 
and sensitivity. So he kind of is like talking about how these are like, you know, they're not only of use in magic, but also like in your regular mundane life. Um, and that you should apply them basically across the board. Uh, he also states the following. In the cultural melting pot of modern society, it is possible to move through a myriad of subcultures, each with its own attitudes, beliefs, ways of defining reality, and social codes. But be warned, you can't get out of bed one morning and say, today I'm going to be a hedonistic, pleasure-seeking Satanist. Hmm. Belief-shifting takes time. <laughs> Uh, time and investment of emotional energy and determination. Also, it's too easy to merely belief shift within the safety of your own head. Like, you have to actually wear this new mask continuously within that most difficult realm, uh, the world of social interactions. I paraphrased there a little bit. Which head, though? Head one or head two or head three? Or the infinite heads? Hmm. All of them, probably. Well, actually, where does the, where does the idea of who you are exist? It, it, it must exist first. And if you want to hear us talk more about this nonsense, you can check out our Patreon. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is from our uh, book club reading of uh, Robert Anton Wilson's uh, Quantum yeah, Psychology. So. Uh... <laughs> Sorry for that little <laughs> sidetrack there. <laughs> uh, so this is really important advice, um, not only for the belief shifting practice that Hein and Carol discuss within the context of chaos magic, but also within the context of defining your own code. Uh, it would take a good deal of effort to uphold really any code, um, and you'll fail at some points. This is okay. Failure is important. It's a huge part of the learning experience. If you always do everything right, I don't know. You learn. I just think you learn a lot more from failure, and I I see that in the classroom as well as in the context of this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, ben Franklin to that point wrote um, that he often was unable to uphold all of his virtues, which we'll discuss later. Um, but also that he picked like one to focus on for a set period of time, and then he would focus on another one. So this might be a good way to go about it uh, while starting out. But at this point, let's turn our attention to some more occult concepts like um, hexing and cursing. And I think we're going to talk about love magic. Yeah, too. we are just a little bit. Okay, so yeah, we thought this would be a good point to like, you know, kind of talk about a few of these topics here. Okay, so there's a lot of different opinions about there about whether or not it's like, okay, to in some cases use what could be called malicious magic, right? Like, oh, to that point, can we discuss like, before we even go into this stuff, the name? Yeah, let's talk the about name. that. Like, because most people refer to it as black magic, and maybe we shouldn't do that. Yeah, I think maybe it would be better to define it. I, you know, somebody I was talking to earlier today said, like, well, we could call it like dark magic. I think dark magic is equally problematic, personally, but um, maybe yeah. like malicious or maybe a new term, actually. we curious about what you got. Destructive, Destructive dissolution. Magic. I mean, I, there, I guess that's those are all sort of. Um, specific right i yeah i'd be really curious to hear what the listeners yeah, have to sure. say like what do you guys think a better term for that would be curious to hear yeah for sure but anyway let's dig into it is it okay to use this stuff in general right like okay um it is of my personal opinion that these things 
can and should be used, but sparingly and only in a very specific set of circumstances. Um, I don't think that, you know, if somebody's being mean to you or like calling you names or something like that, you shouldn't turn around and like try and do death magic on them. That's really fucked up. Also, it seems like you're not going to like learn social skills by if that's your reaction to somebody teasing you. Like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But like, if like there are people, I mean, actively trying to hurt you or like, I don't know if there's like a very abusive relationship going on where somebody's getting really hurt. Yeah, fuck, you don't know what like extenuating circumstances could arise, right? Like I, I feel like making like a blanket statement about this stuff is kind of problematic, right? Because there's so many different contexts and intentions and everything, right? Like, yeah, I, yeah, I guess I just feel like causing physical harm and or death upon someone by magical means or otherwise should only be used in a state of self-defense like or defense of another who is in equal danger i guess that's where i land on it that's that's how i feel i mean is that how you feel about killing in general of another person too yeah i don't believe in the sanctity of life (laughs) no i'm just curious because like because yeah no because that sounds like those same that same rule would apply to mundane life too right like you would only like kill somebody in in defense of yourself or in another person, another person, right? Like, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we're agreeing on that. We'd be here. We would definitely be curious what you guys think. Like, I know that this is, I know a lot of people that say it would never be cool to do this kind of stuff. Right. Like, yeah, for sure. That's it. I, I think in most cases, some kind of binding magic is mm-hmm. more successful binding in the sense of like s- stopping someone from, saying or doing certain things and then only after exhausting all of your resources or in the case of extenuating circumstances should you resort to like death magic or trying to cripple somebody with magic or something yeah sure and i've also like read authors and i've heard people talking about this too where you better want it pretty bad and be pretty fucking careful because if you if it doesn't like hit the target or whatever it'll come back at you too so I, I think that might be another thing people would consider in some cases i guess i don't know yeah i've also i read a story a long time ago um of these two kids whose father was going to marry someone that they really hated right and so they tried to do like a black magic spell on this woman to like try and get rid of her or like it was they weren't specific enough about what they wanted but they just like hated her so much that they wanted to do something and so they do this spell right and it does cause her a great deal of pain but the way it does that is by their father dying so like again you have to be super specific and careful about what you're doing and that may be totally like bullshit but like it's a it's a good point right well we yeah i know we've talked about this concept before right of several times right like Mm -hmm. unintended consequences and everything yeah (laughs) (laughs) a wealth of esoteric information (laughs) and comedy (laughs) all right um I think, yeah, I think I think that pretty much covers it for now, right? I'm, I'm sure we could go way deeper into this topic, but... Yeah, did you want to talk about uh, love magic, though? Yeah, I think we should talk about consent. 
and love magic maybe okay yeah yeah yeah. okay so um go for it now here's another thing there's a lot of different opinions about but i think that what i'm about to say is pretty widely accepted for a lot of people um so there's this idea of like okay so if you're gonna like do love magic and i'm not talking about like general like i don't know it could be called like green magic or whatever but like 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 specific like acting on a certain person maybe it's better to have that person be you rather than anybody else uh for a variety of reasons i think the easiest one you could say first of all is that it's probably going to be more effective you know cast a wider net that way and also comes into some like weird territory with like even if you stick with like the psychological model and you've cast the spell on somebody like it could you could have some like inappropriate behavior towards them or something like i don't know man personally i wouldn't fuck around with it personally like i think it seems like a dumb idea so but that i mean whatever i'm not gonna tell other people what to do but that would be my advice if anybody asked me yeah generally i don't think it's ethical to use magic to bend people to your will right yeah you wouldn't go out and like enslave someone physically so don't do that magically yeah i don't think it's that fucking easy either to do it like if you're gonna fucking use your energy use it effectively right like I don't know. But say even in the case that like you did do that, right? You made them fall in love with you. It's not necessarily going to be permanent. And like it could cause you more pain in the long run too. Or yeah, dude, or they really actually did fall in love with you. And you're like thinking that it's because of some fucking spell you did, not because they actually like you. And then I don't know, it ruins it for you. I don't know, right? Like <laughs> There's a whole bunch of shit that could yeah, go wrong. Maybe like, just, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> fucking... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just don't. I don't know. If you're so into someone that you feel like you need to cast a love spell on them, then there's probably something about yourself you should reflect on. Do some fucking self-love magic on yourself. Work on yourself. Every night, right before bed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Until you feel confident enough to like approach this person in the real world, right? Or in the mundane world, I should say. Yeah. All right. Is that enough about those two things? I hope so. (laughs) For now. (laughs) Okay. For now. All right. Let's talk about some more codes. All right. Let's do. I feel like all of this would be a little weird if we didn't at least mention like medieval chivalry. Uh, Chivalric orders and their codes sort of varied during the Middle Ages. Not sort of. Actually, like widely varied. Like people think, oh, chivalry was this thing people had in the Middle Ages. But it was like very different from place to place. The codes are kind of still played with to this day. Um, the idea of chivalry isn't really dead. The kingdom of Antir, as well as like all the other kingdoms in the SCA, um, but the kingdom of Antir, which I have the great honor and pleasure of being a citizen of, is a, a kingdom within the medieval reenactment organization known as the SCA or the Society for Creative Anachronism. Um, and this kingdom has an interesting page on chivalry and its role within the SCA, which... Uh, seems to be based on or around um, Leon Gutier's uh, Ten Commandments governing the conduct of the night. Um, the abridged version of these commandments are as follows. All right. One, unswerving belief in the church and obedience to her teachings. Two, a willingness to defend the church. Three, respect and pity for all weakness and steadfastness in defending them. Four, love of country. Five, refusal to retreat before the enemy. Six, unceasing and merciless war against the infidel. Ooh, 
don't like that. Seven, strict obedience to the feudal overlord so long as these duties do not conflict with duty to God. Eight, loyalty to truth and to the pledge word. The pledged word. Eight, generosity in giving. I'm sorry, that was number nine. Uh, number ten is championship of the right and the good against the forces of evil. All right, remember this is this thing that Luxa just read is uh, uh, from the Middle Ages, not from from the Kingdom of. <laughs> it's Lundier. not from. It's not from the thing that you're into. No, um, <laughs> their their things are based around that idea, um, but they're different but hey in addition to the sca similar ideas um are kept alive within some of the western martial arts or otherwise known as wma groups of which one particular uh one of note the skull of saint george which was uh, co-founded by dr brian price and also to varying degrees in some of the the myriad of groups that refer to themselves as hema groups or historical european martial arts though i have some strong feelings when it comes to HEMA. But anyway, before engaging in combat, it's pretty common to see uh, two opponents in a tournament like raise their sword to their their helm and salute each other um, with a weapon. And there's like a lot of sort of like honor around combat and like respecting each other and, and things like that. There's also a concept called renown, which is essentially reputation. And it's the judgment of you by your peers based on uh, your speech, your actions, how you show up. For example, is your armor polished? Are you um, displaying your heraldic device, um, which is like your coat of arms or colors or whatever? And, you know, are you using sh uh, chivalric speech? Um, are you doing deeds in, in accordance with that on and off the field? Uh, it also involves like, are you fun to fight? Or, you know, do you have a good attitude about fighting as well? Basically, everyone that participates in a tournament gains renown unless you're like a total jerk, in which case you don't actually lose it. It's rather like you gain negative reputation. But the more dangerous the engagement, both like now and historically, uh, the more rega renown you would earn. So I think this actually kind of translates directly to modern combat too, like MMA and boxing or even war in general. Um, though I think uh, enlisting in the military for the express purposes of like, you know, saying, look at what I did, respect me for it is a little bit problematic. But, you know, historically, like in the Middle Ages, that was like a, like a thing, like you got a huge amount of reputation points for going and fighting in a war or something like that and coming back. Yeah, my brother was telling me that like during like I think it was World War Two that I think it was like in Britain he was saying that they had like this really kind of strong propaganda campaign going to like try to encourage women to only sort of like uh, hook up with people who had joined the military. I believe that was in the United States as well. Yeah, it seems <laughs> seems like a common tactic actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, right. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so even more specific codes can be found among the orders of various warrior groups. Uh, one common notable example is the Samurai Code of Bushido, which includes eight key points of honor. Meiyo. <laughs> That's honor in Japanese. Awesome. Not mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so number one, rectitude or justice. Uh, number two, courage. Three, benevolence or mercy. Four, politeness. Five, honesty and sincerity. Six, honor. Seven, loyalty. And eight, character and self-control. 
So I'm guessing maybe there's like some kind of a translational thing since we have like this is the key points of honor and honor is one of the points of honor. Well, yes. So honor within a lot of Asian cultures and, and Japanese as well is sort of like a, a chain of command. And it also involves family honor. And a lot of it is tied to uh, the philosophy of Confucianism, which is like, so like you have your specific duties related to your family and there's family honor there. And then your duties to like your community and then to your uh, prefecture or like what we call state, even though state really means the same thing as nation. But anyway, and then like to the emperor and so on. Okay, cool. And I'm guessing maybe there's like a few different words for this stuff, right? Definitely. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So now we are going to talk about the nine noble virtues in Asatru. So Asatru is a tradition of Norse paganism. It's a relatively young religion that seeks to kind of revive the pre-Christian religious practices of the Vikings. It began as a small gathering of only 12 people in Reykjavik, Iceland in 1972 and has gained much popularity in recent years. Um, But hey, Hector, is there an elephant in the room with us, dude? I see it all too clearly. It's big. It's white. It's bald. It sometimes cosplays in a gaudy 40s military uniform, um, but more commonly as like a standard human male waving Confederate flag. It also appears to be doing its best to trumpet Das Lied der Deutschen uh, for some reason. Not really sure why, uh, since we're in the United States. <laughs> hey, I, I would give your kind more credit than to call this person a standard human male. <laughs> Just in looks, right? Just in looks. <laughs> I take a little umbrage with the with the adjective standard. We can talk about that later, though. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's been this trend of white supremacists appropriating Viking symbology and actually like a fucking lot of other shit and related to the occult. And this is something that is very distressing to like pretty much everybody, uh, except for these fucking assholes. Uh, so Hector found like a really interesting article about like what practice practitioners of Asatru are doing to like confront this we'll have it linked in the episode description um and also linked in the episode description uh will be what white supremacists can do which is go fuck themselves and not in the fun way either um all right so now that we've addressed that uh let's explore the nine noble virtues of Asatru from what I've read, many practitioners feel that each of these nine virtues are kind of like intertwined. So they're kind of all dependent on each other. Yeah, yeah. So the first one is courage. And this could take many forms like confronting um, your fears or standing up for, for what you believe in, even in the face of like oppression. Yeah. Which we should all be doing <laughs> right. now. Turn off this right podcast and go now. do it now. <laughs> Um, the second one is truth. Uh, you should speak honestly and not just like tell people what they want to hear. Three is honor. In the context of Asatru, this has to do with one's reputation or morals. Um, one is asked to remember that their words and deeds will um, outlive them. The epic poem of Beowulf, if you have not read that, also read that. Cautions for a noble man, death is better than a shameful life. Yeah. All right. So number four is fidelity. So this is kind of like a complex concept here. It has to do with like remaining true to the gods, one's family and community. 
Um, in many early heathen cultures, an oath was seen as like a sacred contract, and to break it would have been considered like super dishonorable. Yeah, sure. There's also the Hayamal, uh, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly, but it's uh, a collection of words attributed to Odin, which says, Swear no oath, but what you mean to abide by. A halter awaits the word breaker. The villainous is the wolf of vows pretty cool <laughs> all right so yeah. number five is discipline having the will power to choose to uphold one's ethics and face personal challenges with courage uh six is hospitality the idea of welcoming travelers and strangers exists in many traditions this traditionally meant that if a person has uh been a guest at your table you are then under are there under your protection and if i'm not mistaken i believe this is also a thing within islam and and i guess like i said a lot of other traditions yeah i feel like it does come up a lot so again i'm not sure how to pronounce this properly but the haimel also says fire is needed by the newcomer whose knees are frozen numb meat and clean linen a man needs who has faith who has fared across the fells water too that he may wash before eating handcloths and a hearty welcome courteous words then courteous silence that he may tell his tale so the emphasis on like collecting information from travelers too or listening to their stories makes me think that like here the idea of hospitality is also kind of like a two-way street like the hosts are sort of repaid with their you know with news for their generosity i don't know sure Seven is industriousness. This is the idea that one should use their time wisely and productively and strive for a sense of accomplishment that accompanies a job well done. And we'll find this concept again. It's actually, it's in my personal code of honor as well as in uh, Ben Franklin's, which we'll discuss later on. Yeah, it's implicit in mine, but I don't know if I actually stated or not. <laughs> but, mm. All right. Uh, Self-reliance is number eight. This is about taking care of yourself and also like maintaining a relationship with the gods too. And then nine is uh, perseverance, in essentially uh, pushing forward despite, you know, pitfalls, obstacles, uh, hardships, failure, and so forth. And since we've just finished talking about Asatru and we've been talking here for, God, it feels like an hour now. <laughs> Should we have like a interlude of some kind? Yeah, let's do. All right. So we've been playing around with different divination systems. And I think that today we are going to go ahead and pull a Lemurand card at Lemurandum. <laughs> Does that mean I get a random lemonade? <laughs> Maybe we'll see what card comes up. <laughs> no, I don't know. Oh. I like strawberry lemonade. It's good. All right. So let's see here. We have the cross. So uh, this has to do with like fate, basically. Uh, the way that this, like the way that Lemuron works is it's kind of like, it's similar to Tarot in that it tells a story, but the elements are like a little bit more... I would, actually, I would say that the elements are a little bit less specific and more interrelated with each other. Like a lot of times when you're reading like a Lemurin spread, you'll use like combinations of what the cards mean together to inform like other cards, if that makes sense. Okay. Can you tell me what the card... I'm, I'm really not familiar with Lemurin, so can you just describe like what the card looks like? Oh, yeah. So the card, usually it's going to have like some kind of a picture of like a cross, like we would you would think of typically as... 
the Christian cross. Okay, like crucifix. Yeah, the crucifix. Thank you. This card it, it it symbolizes fate, right? Like, and it has like the the character of the co- the card, like the sort of like the flavor of it is like like devotion or like being bound to duty. Which actually, it's the perfect fucking card for what we're talking about right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Bas- basically, doing things carefully. There's also like kind of some shadow aspects of like si- like suffering in silence or like bearing a cross or like two. So I think, uh, yeah, burden, karma, taking responsibility. And depending on what other cards you have in the reading, it's going to have a, like a little bit of a different flavor to it. So yeah, there's a, there's a first taste of Lemur, and I actually kind of really like this system. So you guys might hear more about it. That's cool. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look into it a little more. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but all the cards in Lemurand are mapped to playing cards. Yeah, that is correct. Okay, that's like the one thing I know about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, we can definitely talk more about it. It's it's pretty fun. All right, cool. On with codes of honor and things. Related codes. We're going to talk about uh, next codes of honor within uh, Bedouin culture. And that name is derived from the Arabic Bedouin. I'm not going to pronounce this properly. Bedouin. A sort of generic name for uh, people who dwell in the desert. Uh, It's a term generally applied to Arab and some non-Arab nomadic uh, pastoral groups. Um, who live throughout most of the desert belt extending from the Atlantic coast of the Sahara through, you know, that Western desert through Sinai and uh, Negeva to the Eastern coast of the Arabian desert. Um, And there's this quote that we pulled um, that's a a pretty widely quoted Bedouin uh, saying, which is, I against my brothers and I and my brothers against my cousins and I and my brothers and my cousins against the world. (laughs) Yeah, I, I like how it encapsulates some of the t- tribal thought of humanity in general, just in that very sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would take a bunch of words out there and just leave it at I against the world, because that's how I feel sometimes. <laughs> yeah, man. But I mean, as humans, we tend to clump into social groups, right? Like, Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. So Bedouin systems of justice are based on honor codes, although these codes are kind of falling into disuse as more and more people accept sharia or like national like penal codes as the means for dispensing justice okay so there's this concept of urd which is the bedouin honor code for women so a woman is born with her urd intact but things like sexual transgression could take her urd away and once lost urd cannot be regained so the source i used for this uh new world encyclopedia points out that urd is different from virginity as it is emotional slash conceptual. But I would like to point out that virginity is also emotional slash conceptual, and it is a construct, and it is imaginary. <laughs> so moving on. Yeah, definitely. Um, so there's a Sharaf, which is a general Bedouin honor code for men. And this involves protecting of uh, a woman's urd and protection of the family and protection of property and uh, maintaining the honor of the tribe, protecting the village, if the tribe is settled down, that is, and is no longer migratory or nomadic. It can be changed. It can be lost. It can be gained. It can be regained if it is lost. So um, a little bit more freedom there for the men, I think. That's weird. <laughs> hmm, surprise. All right. 
So hospitality or diafa is a trait closely linked to uh, sharaf. It okay. So if a need, even an enemy, must be given shelter and food. Uh, so in poverty does not exempt one from one's duties in this regard. Uh, generosity is also a related virtue in many Bedouin societies. Gift giving in exchange is sort of like this mandatory thing. Um, and the poor are looked after by the community. Uh, tithing is mandatory in a lot of Bedouin societies. So yeah, here's this idea of like hospitality and generosity and stuff coming back again. Yeah, and tithing for people that aren't familiar with that is like giving a percent of what you make to um, the way I'm familiar with it is when like the Catholic church would tithe um, in the middle ages and everyone had to give a percentage of their income to the church. But if it's a more of a communal thing, it could be seen as like giving a percentage of your whatever goods you produce or gather or whatever to, to help support the community. I'm not sure specifically how that's done within Bedouin culture, but that's my general understanding. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's probably different depending on like which, you know, tribe, like which specific like group of people you're looking at, right? Yeah, for sure. Am I remembering it wrong or is tithing, is that like specifically 10%? I believe it is 10%. Yes. Okay. All right. Bravery or Hamasa is also closely linked to Sharaf. Bravery is defined by uh, the willingness of an individual to defend their tribe and is closely related to like this concept of manliness or Muruah. Bravery usually entails the ability to withstand pain, including uh, the pain of circumcision, which is something no one should have to experience. Unless you want to. I mean, you do you. (laughs) Unless you want to. Yeah. Do your own. All right. No one should be circumcised against their will. Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, interesting topic to discuss for sure i would love to hear people's ideas about it i mean obviously i mean it's a religious thing within judaism uh, yeah and i i'm not sure it's possible other traditions too but like yeah uh, it seems like maybe that should be a choice people make i don't know right yeah i mean we do it to babies in the united states like i know no i know uh but if it's gonna happen that's when it should happen before you can remember it <laughs> I don't know. Okay, uh, let's talk about Islam. Yeah, sure. Um, so there are five pillars of Islam, and when I say pillars, like I mean they're like the five concepts that sort of hold up the uh, core belief structure, I guess, if that's how you want to phrase it. But um, the first one, again, we're going to pronounce these horribly because neither of us uh, speak uh, Arabic, as far as I'm aware. But the first one is Shahada. Um, the declaration of your faith that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his uh, messenger or um, from my understanding of Islam, the, the final prophet. Okay. Uh, the next one is uh, Salah, uh, which is you pray facing Mecca five times a day, once at dawn, once at noon, once in the afternoon and once in the evening and once at night. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Zakat. Um, which is giving at least 2.5% of one's income to charity or to the less fortunate, which again, similar to the idea of tithing. But in this case, it's not going directly to like a religious hierarchy, right? You're, you're just giving it to the community where it's needed. Um, yeah. Okay. And so the next one is uh, Swam fasting from dawn until dusk during the holy months of Ramadan. Yeah. I had a... F- friend well more of an acquaintance um i didn't know him too well in high school who was uh muslim and he had to fast during ramadan and i 
don't know how you can i can understand like being an adult and doing it and like going through like your work day and stuff but as a child like trying to learn and i'm not saying this is wrong like if it's your religion do it i just i just can't imagine trying to to be a student and be starving all day it's gonna be so difficult yeah i had a friend in middle school who is muslim and like yeah he he said that he would like get up and eat like a really big breakfast before the sun came up i don't know i don't know though yeah i remember being pretty hungry back then so i don't know yeah my gosh (laughs) there might be some allowances for children i really don't know how it works so I'm sure it depends from family to family and group to group. I mean, obviously, like all religions, there's some groups that are more orthodox than others. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So there's one more. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, making a, a pilgrimage to Mecca at least uh, once in someone's life, if possible. Right. If you're capable, you're supposed to make that journey to the Holy Land. And I believe it's the, the Kaab that you're supposed to go to. Um, which is a holy relic in Jerusalem. I'll have to double check yeah, on Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it's super interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah, this guy named Salman Rushdie wrote this book criticizing, or com- uh, criticizing, I think it's a pretty good <laughs> Islam. And he called it the satanic verses and people got really mad at him for writing it. So let's talk about some other satanic stuff here. <laughs> um, yeah, m- modern satanists, I don't think would be well never mind i take that back. anyway <laughs> what do you want to say about modern Satanists? um judgmental about other people's religions uh but uh, then you know what that's not exactly true <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know i think that that might unfortunately <laughs> uh, i don't know everybody's an individual so i don't know yes. okay Indeed. um Let's talk about the seven satanic statements from the satanic temple. I know we've read this on this show before, but they're good. We wanted to throw them in here anyway. It's good review. Yeah, right? Okay, so one should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Don't cast love magic on people. Thank you. Uh, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend to willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. In this case, one's own freedom, um, if that was not clear. Yes. Uh, Beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. Bullshit. The earth is flat. (laughs) I mean, if it were round, why doesn't my shoe have a gap underneath it? (laughs) I know, right? So weird. We do not think the earth is flat. We are... Being facetious, is that the proper use of that word? I think so. All right, six. People are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. Every tenet, sorry, this is seven. Every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. <laughs> All right, so now let's talk about the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. Yeah, this is from Buddhism, for those of you who are not familiar. The Four Noble Truths are supposedly the uh, recorded words of the Buddha, um, as well as the Eightfold Path, which is 
the path by which one can end suffering. Uh, Luxie, you want to take the first one? Yeah, I love how like goth these are. It's so funny. All right, mm-hmm. so <laughs> all existence is dukkha. Which dukkha means suffering or anguish or pain or unsatisfactoriness. That's a weird uh, <laughs> way to put that word, but not the inability to be satisfied. Sure. The second one is the cause of dukkha is craving. So we suffer because of desire. Right, we want bro's car the guy across the street with the backwards uh, upside down you know <laughs> Pfizer thing. while we're at it his wife too <laughs> hey go to town he'd probably be into that but if it was me that bro finds with his wife he'll probably kill me so uh did you write this or did i get drunk and put all that in there <laughs> i don't remember it, i love it either way all right <laughs> The cessation of dukkha comes with the cessation of craving. So, um, yeah. So stop wanting things as much or try to. Um, But also it's been added by a variety of Buddhist sects. um, This idea that we can't change what happens to us, but we can change how we respond to things, right? Sort of like, um, I feel like that idea comes up in stoicism as well, right? Definitely. So you can change your experience or your reactions but you can't change the external world um so some groups consider that part of the third noble truth as well cool um okay so there is a path that leads from dukkha or as i've heard it said desire can be alleviated by following the eightfold path which i feel like is something we should touch on considering it has pretty large implications for the content of this episode so let's dive into that Yeah, sounds good. Um, We have the Eightfold Path. The first one is right understanding. In other words, understanding of things as they are or understanding the Four Noble Truths. Um, There are two sorts of understanding within Buddhist thought. All right. So we have knowledge, memory. Uh, So this is like an intellectual grasping of a subject according to like given data. This is referred to as knowing accordingly. The second one is deep understanding or penetration. Pativeda, Pativeda is, uh, I believe, how it's pronounced. Not great on my Sanskrit. It's uh, truly seeing things as they are, without a label, without preconceived notions, and so forth. Yeah. So if you've been following along with our book club, we I know we mentioned this earlier, but this is definitely something that we talk about. Uh, you can check that out on our Patreon at Patreon.com/backslash/fg2to. Yep. The next one is right thought which is selflessness, renunciation of desires, detachment, but also, you know, expressing and experiencing love, stuff like that. Yeah. All right. So uh, write speech. Don't lie, slander, or use speech that might draw hatred, enmity, disunity, disharmony, or anything like that among individuals or groups of people. Yeah. So avoid being harsh, rude, impolite, malicious, um, using abusive language as well as being idle or useless, uh, foolish babbling, gossip, things like that. In general, one should not speak carelessly. Talk in the right space time. If you don't have anything useful to say or contribute or productive things to say or contribute, um, exercise what is called noble silence. (laughs) All right. So we also have right action. 
promoting moral, honorable, and peaceful conduct. So refrain from damaging life. Stop eating food. Do not all do food. Do not eat food. Stop. Do not do not steal. <laughs> uh, don't do dishonest dealings. Uh, also, don't do illegitimate sexual intercourse. <laughs> what? <laughs> Again with this, all these religions are really hung up on sex. Yeah, well, I think humans in general are pretty young. Anyway, right? yeah, so like I said before, just like embrace it. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> There's another part to that. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, also, guide others to tranquil and respectable life. Okay. Um, the next one is right livelihood. So don't make uh, a living through a profession that brings harm to others, such as uh, trading in arms both literal and figurative, uh, and lethal weapons, intoxicating drinks and poisons, or killing animals, cheating, etc. All right. So right effort. This is like the will to prevent evil states of mind from arising and to get rid of such evils that have already arisen within, as well as to cause to arise wholesome states of mind not yet arisen and bring to perfection such states that have already arisen. So... Basically, this is the the idea of like ego magic and shadow work that we talk so much about, right? Doing that like that deep, hard self work. Um, the next one is uh, right mindfulness. So being aware of your body, your sensations, your feelings, the activities of your mind, including your thoughts, your ideas, your assumptions, your delusions, um, and so forth. And I, you know, good meditative practice will help with this. Uh, that's both my suggestion and a Buddhist suggestion. Yeah, pretty. <laughs> I would second that. All right. So also there's right concentration. So this leads to the four stages of dhyana. Is that, am I saying that right? I think it's dhyana. Dhyana, generally referred to as trance or reculiament. Reculiament? Yeah, I think so. Reculiament? Sounds French. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in the, the first stage, desires and thoughts like... Uh, sensuous lust, ill will, worry, restlessness, and skeptical doubt are discarded. I don't know, man. I think I want to keep some of those. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, we'll talk about this later, but like, I really, I have a, a, a complicated relationship with uh, Buddhist thought in that I really, really love it and use it a lot in my own personal practice. But it's one of those things where, like, I don't agree with every bit of yeah. it. You know, I don't think I've heard anything that I agree with every bit of. So (laughs) maybe that's not so bad. (laughs) Um, All right. So the second stage is, you know, all intellectual activities are suppressed. Tranquility and single pointedness of mind is developed and the feeling of joy and happiness are still retained. So this idea of like single pointedness of mind is probably pretty similar or sorry, pretty familiar to a lot of people. Yeah, like single pointed thought. It's uh, what we call gnosis pretty often. Yeah, it sure as hell sounds like it, right? Yep. So the third stage, the feeling of joy, which is an active sensation, disappears while the disposition of happiness still remains. And then finally, all sensations, even of happiness and unhappiness, of joy and sorrow disappear. Only pure equanimity and awareness remain. And from my understanding, it's like I took a Buddhist traditions class in college and we, on top of doing a a lot of reading, went to a variety of different Buddhist temples and, you know, sat with the monks and meditated with them and talked to them about stuff. And 
my understanding of this process, this four stages of Dahayana, is not that they, it's not that this becomes your life. These are like the stages within meditative practice. Like no one can exist in these states all the time. You would cease to exist if you had no desires, no emotional experience and anything like that. If you weren't aware of your surroundings, like you could not function as a human being. Yeah, no, for real. That's sort of what I assumed when we were reading that, that it was like, this must be like during the practice of meditation, that this is what you do. But because, yeah, otherwise, I mean, I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's good stuff. Interesting, I guess. You know, I'm not not sure about all of it, right? But uh, let's talk about, yeah. like, the opposite. <laughs> well, at least in terms of what I understand about his life. <laughs> ben Franklin's 13 Virtues. So, yeah, I mean, say what you want about this dude. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, not not great back then, but interesting ideas nonetheless so let is let's at least take a look at them right like yeah yeah cool you want to hit us with the first one yes the first one is temperance eat not to dullness drink not to elevation okay number two is silence speak not but what may benefit others or yourself avoid trifling conversation i think i live by that pretty well i agree with that one yeah and that sounds pretty similar to like the thing earlier about like you know noble silence right yeah exactly cool all right so the next one is order let all your things have their places let each part of your business have its time amen all about that uh four resolution resolve to perform what you ought and perform without fail what you resolve so keep your word totally all right frugality make no expense but to do good to others or yourself so in don't waste stuff, basically. Yeah, when you see that giant package of gummy bears while you're in the checkout line, maybe think twice whether you really need those gummy bears. Yeah, dude, we've been, like, lecturing people about, like, you know, not lying, and now we're telling them not to eat candy either. Like, this is getting pretty harsh. I don't know. <laughs> I'm actually talking to myself right now. I'm not talking to our our listeners. I'm, I'm talking out loud to future me about not buying three pound bags of gummy bears okay you know yeah yeah sure for sure but you know what sometimes it's also okay to eat the gummy bears i don't know it is it is but it's not acceptable when you eat a three pound bag of gummy bears in under a week that's not that's not okay. i'm impressed <laughs> it's not a healthy thing all right number six is industry lose no time be always employed in something useful and cut off all unnecessary actions sincerity use no hurtful deceit think innocently and justly and if you speak speak accordingly uh eight is justice wrong none by doing injuries or omitting the benefits that are your duty <laughs> moderation avoid extremes forbear resenting injuries so much as you think they deserve indeed cleanliness tolerate no uncleanliness in body clothes or habitation tranquility be not disturbed at trifles or at accidents common or unavoidable 12 chastity rarely use ven venery but for health or offspring never to dullness weakness or the injury of your own or another's peace or reputation so many of these have to do with sex. <laughs> Why so many? Well, I mean, 
as we said earlier, doesn't everything, and then also consider the source for these rules. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we know what he was really doing with the Hellfire Club. Yeah, dude. From what I heard about this dude, he liked to fuck. <laughs> like he was, <laughs> he fucked. All right. Anyway, uh, humility. Imitate Jesus and Socrates. So die young, I guess. And with poison <laughs> or a spear, a poison spear. Okay. <laughs> Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some different kind of like ethical codes here. Some more modern stuff, yeah? Yeah, for sure. So the first one is uh, Levy's hacker ethics, which are really, really fun. The first one is uh, access to computers um, and basically anything which might teach you something about like the way the world works uh, and this belief that all of this should be... um, unlimited and total like everyone should have access to this stuff like it's a it's a right the information wants to be free yeah <laughs> all information should be free that's number two <laughs> yeah a, a free exchange of information allows for greater overall creativity free means unrestricted access it does not refer to price according to this hacker ethic but that said i i think we could all really benefit from a society that's not structured around a monetary system especially since we have the ability to automate like a vast majority of our production at this point you know that would leave people free to learn explore grow create innovate or travel the stars i don't know (laughs) i i read this and i just like really think of like tng really hard yeah dude for sure no, dude, and also, like you said, like, free right now does refer, like, free or not free does refer to access, right? Like, because of the price of admission in some cases, right? So Yeah, yeah you're right. Like, it's the price is a, is a limiting factor. So if everyone should have access to information, but you have to buy a computer or whatever to get access to information, then... But yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Interesting semantics there. Cool to kind of uh, parse that out sometime. Okay, so the third one, very important, mistrust authority and promote decentralization. So the best way to promote the free exchange is to have an open system with no boundaries between people or information and that the equipment that they need um, in their quest for knowledge and improvement is available to them. Yeah, so typically hackers believe bureaucracies, whether corporate or government or university, are systems of control, not systems that maintain order or protect us um, or promote anything positive other than their own deluded self-interests. Um, so, yeah. Hmm, interesting. All right, so hackers should be judged by their hacking, not criteria such as degrees, age, sex, race position etc yeah totally you number five you can create art and beauty on a computer computers can change your life for the better <laughs> so yeah I, I actually yeah i like the hacker code it's it makes sense it's fun yeah here's one that's uh <laughs> we included for giggle <laughs> <laughs> It's been, a, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride. It's been a fucking long episode. A lot of, I feel like, us lecturing you all. So <laughs> I hope you don't feel like this has been a lecture. Take it as you will. Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm just joking. I hope, hopefully it hasn't been too bad. Um, so, so, yeah, this is the Scientology Code of Honor. Yeah. So L. Ron Hubbard um, wrote and issued the Code of Honor in 1954 along with this introduction. No one expects the code of honor to be closely and tightly followed. An ethical code cannot be enforced. 
any effort to enforce the code of honor would bring it into the level of a moral code. It cannot be enforced simply because it is uh, a way of life, which can exist as a way of life only as long as it is not enforced. Any other use but self-determined use of the code of honor would, as any Scientologist could quickly see, produce a considerable deterioration in a person. Therefore, its use is a luxury use, and which is done solely on self-determined action, provided one sees eye to eye with the code of honor. Yeah, and so this is from the it's a Scientology website or something, but I just want to point out, like, this is the thing with Scientology. Like, sometimes, like, you listen to some of it and it, like, sounds like, you know, like, that's actually pretty fucking reasonable until you <laughs> listen a little closer. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't know. And then you, like, trip over one of these and they ship you off to Sea Org or something and you're <laughs> never seen again. again. All right. And also, this is interesting. This is in 1954, so... I feel like uh, old LRH makes some uh, interest, an interesting personal journey between when he wrote this and later in his life when things started to get real wild. Anyway, right, so number one, never desert a comrade in need, in danger or in trouble. Number two, never withdraw allegiance once granted. Three, never desert... Never desert a group to which you owe your support. Number four, never disparage yourself or minimize your strength of power or power. Strength or power. Never need praise, approval, or sympathy. Number six, never compromise with your own reality. Never permit your affinity to be alloyed. God, I don't even know what the fuck that means. Never permit your affinity to be Do you want to like alloyed. unpack that real quick? Like, What well, the fuck does that mean? As a metal worker, alloying something means adding other minerals to make it, to like change the, the composition yeah. structure. So sure, maybe he means something along the lines don't, of don't let anybody fucking curb your never, enthusiasm. Is that what he's saying? I guess. Or like never let anyone change you. But that's like the whole thing of Scientology. Uh, Gosh, I don't know, man. All right. Well, whatever. <laughs> Let's not, let's not fucking... Let's repackage that and ship it back. Return to sender. Yeah, dude, we shouldn't fucking think about this shit too hard, like, or else we're... Yeah, bad stuff happens when you start thinking about all this Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Number eight. Do not give or receive communication unless you yourself desire it. All right. Your self-determinism and your honor are more important than your immediate life. Number ten. Your integrity to yourself is more important than your body. <laughs> Never regret yesterday. Life is in you today, and you make your tomorrow. Charles Manson once said, The past is dead. There is no future, only now. Feels very similar. It's also kind of zen. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, number 12. Never fear to hurt another in a just cause. Uh, don't desire to be liked or admired. He should take his own advice. Uh, number 14, be your own advisor, keep your own counsel, and select your own decisions. Be true to your own goals. Uh, this is the ethical code of Scientology, the code one uses not because he has to or they have to, but because they can afford such a luxury. All right, so that's fun, right? <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Yeah, just when we thought, like, you know, we had a fun time making fun of, like, you know, a lot of 
old school stuff and like I'm glad that or maybe I'm not I don't know it's still happening that we're we're dreaming up bonkers stuff every day <laughs> so it's not like things are that fucking different than they used to be <laughs> absolutely can we take just a really quick break real quick absolutely not uh well that's all right you can do the rest of the episode by yourself and i will be back in two minutes <laughs> all right so defervescent frontis cranoly unmeltable Unmutable, ichthamol, deadening, fuzzball, enroll, vavray, rehang, kinsey, velate, ordinance, ordinance, conchiferous, necklace, forestation, no catapomblation, avengeful, rebelic, compressary. <laughs> <laughs> Are, are these vocabulary words? <laughs> I found a list. I found a random word generator, and I generated a list of a hundred random words, and I got to fifty-six before you came back. Okay. Or fifty-six before you stopped me. <laughs> I was really curious to see where it was going. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere particular, apparently. Oh man! All right. So are we going to make it to the end of this episode? I feel like we're close. Oh, All right. Yeah. We're really close. <laughs> before, before we talk about our own personal codes of honor, I feel like we should include uh, something that I totally, for some reason, didn't think about when we were writing uh, the notes for this episode. And that is Cellini's Laws. Oh, fuck. Yeah, we didn't put that in there. Yeah. So Cellini's Laws appear in Robert Anton Wilson's The Illuminati uh, Papers from the Illuminatus Trilogy. But we're that was one of his fiction books. We're, we're book clubbing one of his nonfiction books, Quantum Psychology, on our Patreon, which, again, you have to uh, go directly to the link. You can't search for because it is content. adult content. Um, <laughs> hint, hint, wink, wink. Oh, you're like overselling it's it. not really that <laughs> Sex sells, man. But anyway, so the laws are three. The first one is national security is the chief cause of national insecurity. <laughs> meditate on that the second law is accurate communication is possible only in a non-punishing situation so you can only be open and honest with each other when there are no consequences according to this law and then the third law is an honest politician is a national <laughs> calamity which generally means uh shoot i i don't know if i can really describe it with actually without actually reading um what's listed below it but yeah go ahead you know what i think it means politics is such a fucked up dirty rigged game that if anybody that wasn't like a sociopath joined it it would be a disaster yeah kind of yeah so like what they say here is quote an honest politician is far more dangerous since they're honestly interested in bettering society through political action and that means writing and implementing more and more laws oh okay well actually <laughs> not even more <laughs> Thanks, Robert and Wilson and Robert Day. I just pulled that, pulled that from Wikipedia. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, but. I want to hear about your personal code of honor. Yeah, sure. So I wrote this a couple years ago, and I've been modifying it. I review it every couple of months, and I try to read it as regularly as possible and, and live up to it. And it's definitely, like I said in the beginning of the episode, had some interesting effects on just the way I interact with the world. And it's definitely... Uh, 
helps solidify my beliefs and, and make me more, I guess, apt to live up to them. So I will run through them here. This is Hector's personal code of honor. Uh, number one, only intentionally harm another living thing in self-defense, in the defense of another, or for food. Only kill plants when necessary and make the utmost effort to uphold ecological balance. Number two, cultivate self-discipline and always do everything to the best of your ability. Number three, waste nothing, including time. Be industrious and always engaged in something useful, but understand the rest. I'm sorry, understand that rest, relaxation, and time spent bonding with those you care for is equally as useful and important. Number four, strive to be confident and relaxed and remain calm at all times. Do not allow yourself to be ruled by your emotions. Seek to be grounded, centered, balanced, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Number five, be attentive to your surroundings, those whom you come into contact with, and yourself at all times. Be aware, be present, be here now. Number six, be organized in your space, your thoughts, your possessions, actions, and time. Let everything have its place. Uh, seven is be authentic with the honest and deceitful with the deceivers. Number eight, learn as much as you can about as much as you can. Specialization, specialization is for insects. Number nine, accept, understand, and utilize the power of symbols, spoken, visual, or otherwise. Uh, number 10 is strive to maintain a physical, psychological, and spiritual balance in the micro, macro, and psycho psychocosm. 11, recognize, control, and cultivate the nine aspects of inner self. Uh, 12, acknowledge the wisdom of the four noble truths. And 13 is have fun and memento more. <laughs> Awesome. Hell yeah, Which dude. means, remember, you will die. Well, yeah, you should definitely think about that, because that way you can live and have a fun time. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, yeah. That's the whole point, right? Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, I definitely agree with most of what you said there, for sure. Good stuff. What about you? All right, so this is a list of stuff that I try to do. It's distilled to its most hopefully usable form. Um, what I have here is like pretty simply stated, but like when I started to write all this stuff out, like I came up with like more and more complex definitions of like how I thought these ideas came into play in life. And like, I would realize that I would never actually be able to like fully explain them in words, right? I have a huge long document full of musings on different aspects of this stuff, but I'm not going to subject all of you to that today. Um, <laughs> I did leave in a few definitions, though, just like to clarify. Okay, so strive for empathy, self-expression, and self-mastery. And here I mean empathy as a specific type of understanding, uh, not like altruism per se, which I'm not sure actually exists. That's another topic for another day. Um, treat people as individuals, right? No group is monolithic. Pretty basic shit. Uh, your actions should be congruent with your ideals. You should uphold your responsibilities and do your share of the work. You should, like, you know, seek to assist rather than, like, burden the people that you care for. Try to speak as accurately as possible. Remember the difference between can and should right just because you can do something doesn't mean you should <laughs> yeah i saw a shirt a while ago that i really loved and i just said yolo isn't an excuse to do something stupid <laughs> or it's a terrible excuse to do something stupid something like that <laughs> yeah sure for sure um and then also like remember the interconnectedness of all things right like this is like we've talked about this all the time but i mean 
it really does you can make the argument that like all life is literally connected by its shared genetic lineage or like i mean there's all kinds of ways of thinking about this shit so um the other thing too is uh something from principia discordia which is like keep your mind open right like because uh you know convictions are the leading cause of convicts so. hmm. sure <laughs> let's do some homework <laughs> yeah yeah um so homework uh, create your own code of honor to live by. How we kind of suggest going about this is uh, to start out with whatever notes you took on this episode, whether mental or otherwise, and jot them down on a, a piece of separate paper. Write down the ones that you know really strike you as, yeah, that's totally me. And then think about all the other things that are really important to you. Maybe like, I don't know, uh, environmentalism or uh, keeping your cool under pressure, or never harming another living thing, or you know, having as much as fun as possible or whatever so write all those down not just the good ones write everything down that sort of comes up the the other ones are are interesting to reflect on um after you've done your little brainstorming session because uh they may lead to like other ideas or insights related to um your code to be or just yourself in general like they might lead to some future shadow work or eco magic or something like that yeah cool all right so after you're done with all of that review what you've written down um, if new thoughts come up, explore them, then review it again. Uh, so when you seem to be all out of ideas, sort everything into like a stuff to keep and uh, like a stuff that's not relevant or like not good to you or whatever. Stuff that's not for you. <laughs> um, so save the later part and put it in your journal. So now working with the former list, start seeing where you can simplify the ideas or blend the ideas together. You don't want to end up like with a super long list. Otherwise, it's like super hard to keep track of. So Hector has 13 in his list. Yeah. And even that's a little a little bit much, really. Uh, if I could get it down to like 10 or 7, I'd be much more happy. But, you know, I, I do the regular revision even after two years now. So who knows? Yeah, I actually didn't count mine. So I don't know. But yeah, there's not that many. Uh, okay, so maybe like 10 or less is good if you can. Play with the language and see how you can make sentences that encompass like more broad concepts that you want to embody. Maybe listening to George Carlin's Ten Commandments skit that we discussed earlier could help. <laughs> um, you can see how he broke them all down into like two overarching ideas. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting because the way he, despite the way he's like actually making fun of them the whole time, his breakdown is really honest and it does encompass all of the ideas of the Ten Commandments, even though he's trying to be funny and is is sort of poking fun at it at the same time. The two he comes up with really do encompass the entire idea of the ten points within there. So I think it's it's really interesting. And after all that, the idea is to try your best to sort of live up to these things you've come up with and remember to to review them and revise them and maybe take uh, the Ben Franklin method and really focus on like one concept a week. Yeah. Yeah. Or longer. And Luxa says or longer. And <laughs> and and see if you can, uh, you know, really work them into your life. Yeah, definitely. All right. Is, is there anything else? I mean, should we get out of here? Um. I mean, I'd just like to say thank you all for listening to Fool's Guide to the Occult. Um, if you'd like to hear more content, you can head over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash FG, the number two CO. Remember, that's adult content, so you can't actually search for it. It won't show up. You have to go to the link. We'll put that in the episode description um, if you want. Or uh, We've got a lot of fun stuff going on over there. We play games of 20 questions. We 
our book clubbing again, Quantum Psychology by Robert Anton Wilson. Talk about pop culture and magic, which is really fun. Yeah. And so the, the interesting thing about our Patreon is uh, the minimum for Patreon is $1 and we don't have a tiered system. So it's basically pay what you what you can, like however much you can or you want to give us in support. We really appreciate it. And a big thank you to all those that are already supporting us. We really, really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we really, really do. We've been having a pretty good time putting stuff up there. Like we've got some pretty wild discussions out there um, and we are adding to it all the time. So definitely consider checking that out if you are into it. Um, but yeah, we super appreciate you all listening and reaching out to us. Um, we love hearing your stories, your thoughts, your ideas. If there's a topic you want to hear us cover, please let us know. We would be super into accommodating that if there's something that y'all really want to hear about. That would be awesome. Yeah, totally. And, you know, if you just want to like, I'd l- again like to do like some kind of like listener mail type deal. So if you want to ask us some questions or be like, you know, whatever, it can be occult related. It can be like life related it can be my favorite color it can <laughs> be, ama <laughs> i don't know whatever you know okay yeah definitely so yeah don't be don't hesitate to reach out we love hearing from y'all yeah oh so yeah you can email us at fool's guide the number two the occult at gmail.com you can follow us on insta at fool's guide you could like and follow us on facebook um, and join our community page, fellow travelers, where there's all kinds of fun conversations and discussions and sharing going on there. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely check it out. Okay. Yeah. All right. So until next time, everyone, to quote Roland from The Gunslinger by uh, Stephen King in The Dark Tower, aim with your eyes, shoot with your mind, kill with your heart. <laughs> ah, that's the Buddha. When you meet him on the road to enlightenment, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. All right, until next time, everyone.